Welcome to AZ TechCast, sponsored by the Arizona Technology Council, with your hosts, Steve Zylstra and Karen Nowitz. AZ TechCast is dedicated to covering innovation and technology in Arizona and beyond. Broadcasted monthly, AZ TechCast invites leading experts to have real conversations about what is happening in the tech sector across the state of Arizona. From regional news to innovative startups, companies, and emerging technologies, AZ TechCast covers the critical issues and economic trends propelling the state's growing tech ecosystem. The global e-commerce market is expected to total $5 trillion and then some in 2022. Between the pandemic, the transition to remote work, and increased digitization, e-commerce is expected to continue growing, reaching approximately 24.5% of sales by 2025. Welcome to Phoenix Business Radio. I'm Karen Nowicki, president and owner of Phoenix Business Radio X, and I'd like to welcome you to this month's broadcast of AZ TechCast, sponsored by the Arizona Technology Council. AZ TechCast is dedicated to covering innovation and technology in Arizona and beyond. Broadcasted monthly, AZ TechCast invites tech and business experts to have real conversations about what's happening across the state of Arizona. AZ TechCast discusses the critical issues, the topics, and the trends propelling the state's growing tech ecosystem. So please, with that, join me in giving a warm welcome to today's featured guests. We have Amory Boremio, Director of Technology Operations and Talent at Carvana. Welcome, Amory. Thank you. Thank and I you. think I might have mispronounced your last name, Boremio. Borromeo. I'm going to keep coming up. I'm going to just keep coming up with different versions of it. My my apologies. <laughs> yeah. I'm, you have to yeah. throw the like fingers in the air. Like, yes. Have you seen that that little TikTok thing? They're doing that now. They're you know showing things around their home and that yeah, it's it's funny. So bor- do it one more time for me. Borromeo. <laughs> Borromeo. Borromeo. I'll get it by the end of this segment. I'll there get it. it. And welcome as well, please, John Lott. He's the founder and CEO of E-Commerce Industry Council and Chief Financial Officer at Spearmint Love. Welcome, John, and thanks for this super easy last name. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Good to hear you. Thank you. Really appreciate you having us today. Likewise. I'm so looking forward to hearing about each of your businesses and organizations that you represent. I'm only familiar with a few of you, so this will be fun. With us as well is Honey Olison, Director of Operations at Atmosol. Welcome, Honey. Thank you. Absolutely. And Brad Wheeler, Senior Director of Customer Strategy at Emerge. Hello. Hey, how's it going? Good to be here. Great to have you. Is everybody in Arizona? I'm assuming so, huh? Yeah. Very good. Yep. Well, these accomplished e-commerce leaders will be joining Bianca, Baliga, and I to have this well-rounded conversation today. And Bianca is the Director of Marketing and Communications at AZ Tech Council. Welcome, Bianca. Hi there. So happy to be here, Karen. Appreciate it. And we always uh, like to give a shout out to Bianca, even when she is not co-hosting with me. Today's a special occasion because she is the one that kind of orchestrates all of this behind the scenes and decides which of our esteemed guests to have on the panel and what topic we're going to cover. So, Bianca, I always love when you have a chance to come and be with us live and get to know our panelists a little bit better and take us in a deeper dive with some of the questions we have prepared today. Oh, I love that. Thank you for the shout out. Absolutely. So we're going to be exploring today how small to mid-sized companies can build e-commerce stores to gain a competitive edge. We have a lot of interesting content to cover, and so we're going to jump in and get after it right now. We always like to start by asking each of our panelists to just briefly introduce yourselves uh, beyond what I've done with you know your name and your title, and then the role that you play in your organization and where that lands as it relates to Arizona's technology ecosystem. The other thing I probably should have said when we were in the green room uh, was that we'd like you to just jump in. I, I'm happy to play gatekeeper and, and you know, you know, kind of direct traffic, but it's also a rich experience when we can just simply uh, jump in and play off of each other. So with that, who would like to jump in there first? Who's feeling brave? And would like to introduce themselves, the role that you play with your, your business and where that fits into our ecosystem. I go first. Thank you, Brad. Okay. Thanks, Brad. <laughs> yeah. Brad Wheeler. Paper scissors. I work for Emerge Tech. It's in Scottsdale, Arizona. We are in the supply chain industry, which is obviously a very hot topic uh, across the country and across the world right now. Um, what we aim to do is really in the supply chain industry that we've seen right now is there's a lot of inefficiencies and a lot of antiquated ways in which uh, shippers and carriers and different vendors work together. 
uh, leveraging technology is is coming into fruition now uh, and, and being more of a thing of the future and more of a thing of, uh, of currently uh, of what they're leveraging right now. It's just never really been uh, uh, well accepted in the supply chain industry until the last few years. So uh, what we're doing is trying to connect different shippers and carriers through technology and opening up uh, potential relationships that never could have existed without the use of technology. So that's a brief snapshot of at least what emerges. Fantastic introduction. Thank you. All right. I think I heard Honey's voice right after that. All right, so uh, I'm Holman Honey Olison. I'm the uh, Director of Operations at Atmosol. I've been with the company almost 11 years, uh, and we provide e-commerce services to retailers and manufacturers in Arizona and all over the world. We are partners with platforms such as Adobe, which most people know as Magento Commerce, uh, Big Commerce, and Shopify. So we do anything from building new stores to maintaining the stores and optimizing them. And just for consultants, we just help people build their business. Great. All right. Hey, happy to jump in. Please. Yeah. So um, I'm Aaron Borromeo, Director of Technology and Talent Operations at Carvana. Um, so I do a whole host of things there from, um, you know, really sort of translating our values as it relates to an organization into how we operate as a company and, and how we treat our people and that entire employee experience, which is sort of interesting. But Carvana, for anyone who doesn't know, is an e-commerce platform for certified used vehicles where you can, you know, in as little as 30 minutes at times, have a vehicle sort of ordered have it shipped to your house or picked up at one of our vending machines nationwide, uh, which is very fun, but a little bit challenging for kids. I have two little ones and, uh, and my son now has this concept of like, I go someplace and you give me this giant coin and I put it in this vending machine and out comes this car. And so, you know, I've got an 18 year old as well. And, uh, you know, we had to very deeply manage his expectations around uh, what cars actually cost. And this, this giant coin isn't actually uh, what it takes to get one. So, um, but super fun, very, very exciting. And I think, you know, similar to Brad, we just sort of talk about access and cutting out the middleman and, and making it as easy as possible for people uh, to get what they need. And uh, we're very customer centric as it relates to that and, and just making sure that that, um, that this process is as smooth as possible. So our entire platform, our entire existence has been e-commerce, which is uh, which is pretty cool to be here today. Uh, and I'm John Lott. I am the CEO and founder of ESIC, which is the e-commerce industry council. And what led me to that was my wife in 2013 founded a company called Spearmint Love, uh, which is a DTC brand in the uh, baby and children's clothing and accessory space. As I watched her build that business and work with her on building that business, I realized that there's some very real challenges uh, that industry participants face. And I looked around to see if there was an industry council that was built solely for the purpose of supporting them, actually paid someone to do some real research on that. As surprising as it was, there wasn't one. So I created one uh, two and a half years ago. We've engaged lobbyists and marketers and all sorts of folks uh, and we are rolling out now our launch of ESIC and look forward to being a voice for all of those who are participating actively in the e-commerce space. Fantastic. John, is that uh, Arizona specific or is it, yeah? Global. Right. Yeah. Which makes sense, of course. <laughs> yeah, the objective is anywhere you are and you have e-commerce, we can help you with uh, resources, contacts, and it's really vendors founders and uh, senior management, and then policymakers, right? Because those are the three levers that make the world go round from an e-commerce perspective. Mm -hmm. Yep. If there's anything I've learned from Steve Zalstra and the you know Arizona Technology Council, the very things that you've just shared, you've got to bring everybody to the table over and over again and keep looking around the table and saying, who's not here <laughs> and, and build yep. it that way. Very good. Bianca, I would love for you to take a moment as well to introduce uh, yourself and the Arizona Technology Council. Just like Carvana, you know, if, if you've been living under a rock, you, you may not know about Carvana or Arizona Technology Council, but <laughs> let's have you introduce the great work that you guys are doing and, and how, you was, how it was that you came to bring us all here today. Sure. Thanks, Karen. My name is Bianca Baliga, and I am the Director of Marketing and Communications for the Arizona Technology Council. We're actually in the company of a couple of member companies here today. So, Really excited about that. Um, for those of you who aren't familiar with the council, we are the leading networking association for science and technology companies in Arizona. 
we have about 750 technology companies who are members of the council. And those really range in size from those smaller early stage startups to larger corporations that are household names. So think Apple, American Express, Honeywell, and a variety of other companies that really are moving the needle on technological innovation. Ooh, I can speak today. We do host about 150 virtual or in-person events annually. We offer our members a variety of resources to grow their capacity. Um, And those things include an association healthcare plan, a multiple employer 401k plan, discounted tuition for degree programs at certain in-state institutions and much, much more. And we do also advocate for a tech-based pro-growth and business-focused agenda at the federal, state, and local levels. And I'm excited to share that we're putting finishing touches on our 2021 annual report, which will showcase our legislative priorities and wins for the past year, including things like reauthorizing the angel investment tax credit, advancing clean energy initiatives, and much, much more. But if you ever want to learn more about what the council does, you can visit aztechcouncil.org. Excellent introduction. And we're fortunate to have SciTech Institute, which is uh, the Arizona Technology Council's foundation, uh, with Kelly Green, their uh, CEO or CO. I can't remember what her role is, but she is here in the building with us. And we get to do their show as well, STEM Unplugged, where they focus on K-12 education as it relates to furthering careers and excitement and enthusiasm on behalf of our, our next generation. So thank you again. Let's start off with our first meaty question. How do you define e-commerce? Maybe this is a baseline question, right? How do you define e-commerce and what is the benefit of adopting e-commerce in today's increasingly digitized world? So for each of you that are pros, this is a no-brainer. But for those who are listening and, you know, either uh, in startup mode or have been at their business for a while, you may provide some framework for them that they hadn't considered yet or give them that nudge to do that next thing. So defining e-commerce and the benefits of adopting e-commerce in today's digitized world. To me, it's it's a uh, transaction that takes place without the need for a physical uh, location. Uh, and the customer gets to choose ultimately where that's fulfilled. So it really puts a lot of the choice on the customer's hands. Uh, that, that for me is like one of the table stakes of e-commerce. And I mean, I could go off of that in that most people know who Amazon is. <laughs> so, you know, that's just one small part of e-commerce. But it's only going to grow. So e-commerce isn't going away. So anyone who doesn't have a store or isn't on board, they're going to be. (laughs) I think in many cases, a lot of businesses will be forced to start looking at e-commerce. I I think e-commerce has already been obviously well recepted and already put into action already. But now how do we drive efficiency with leveraging e-commerce? So it's, it's similar mm-hmm. to the Carvana play of, uh, of developing a marketplace of options, of, of bringing in uh, vendors or consumers that otherwise wouldn't have the opportunity to be able to transact with each other. So it's not a closed market. So how do we open it up for, uh, for as many people as possible to be able to work with as many people and, and find uh, synergies between that where before e-commerce or before a network effect of, uh, or a marketplace effect you would never be able to connect with them. I think it's there's so much that's changed since COVID. There's so much that's changed in our world, even in the last decade, as, it, as we think about customer expectations. And, and to Honey's point, like if you haven't, you, you're going to have to soon, right? And, and I think COVID did a lot uh, as it relates to the sort of like expectation of like that instant gratification. I go online, I find the thing I want, it ships to me, I get it. And so it's no longer, it used to be that that was a differentiator, right? It's like, oh, you can do this thing online and that's amazing. And so people would flock to Amazon or whatever else because they could get the thing as fast as they can. As we're in a business, in a a market and an industry now where everybody has that option, you sort of have to shift what your differentiator is. And then you have the opportunity to instead wow them with communication or the little extra touches, right? You know, when when we have cars show up for customers, we oftentimes have custom swag and, and little nuggets in there. It's like, oh, this is your first car. Here's a, you know, here's a maintenance kit and here's how to, you know, a car washing kit. Or, oh, I heard you were really into, you know, Legos. Here's a Lego kit that we had custom made <laughs> or, you know, all these little things, right? And you, you sort of start to meet the customer where they're at to, to John's point, right? Of, of, you know, creating this experience that's meaningful for, for your end your end customer, your end user. I'm thinking of a non-sophisticated example. My son is in eighth grade and he's uh, playing baseball, right? So back in the day, we'd get that, you know, sheet home out of the backpack that says, hey, team photos are on this day and here's your order form, right? right. Put in your check, 
it's a check anymore, right? Put in your check. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and and I'm looking, for years, we've been doing it where you can pay online. And f- for whatever reason, this company that's doing it this year, there's no website. I'm like looking at the form. I'm I'm frustrated because I, one, I don't have checks handy and I right. can't, I can't figure it out, right? I just, I want to go to a website and I want to click, these are the photos I want. Here's my credit card. Let's do it. You know, bring me the photos right. when, when he picks them up from school. So again, a very small example, but how much things, how much we've become accustomed to the way things are and how easy it is for oftentimes the end user. Uh, we've, we always use a, the example on our side that's really easily relatable of Back in the, the 80s, 90s, you would go to uh, uh, go to a strip mall and, and find out a, a vacation broker for you or a travel agent for you. And they would say, hey, uh, I want to go to Florida or give me give me some vacation options. So they'd give you, you know, three or four different options to go. But it's it's their options. They outline everything for you. And there's pros and cons with that. You develop a cool relationship. You, you have that personal touch. However, when the introduction of things like uh, kayak.com or Expedia came in, uh, the, the brokers or, or the travel agents, if you will, there's no need for them anymore. If you have that direct access, uh, it's so influential and it's it's creating efficiencies. Uh, mm-hmm. It's opening up a lot more options to people uh, at the, with a click of a button. So that's a good says- good, good kind of uh, a real world example of, of a large a large industry such as travel and entertainment can be significantly changed with just the inception of, of e-commerce. Or simple well, stuff. same thing in the grocery stores. Think yes. about what happened with the pandemic. I mean, I don't go to the grocery store anymore, even though I can now. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's just easier to have someone else do it. I just get online, say, well, this, 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 and this, and they bring it to me. <laughs> so. I think I'm already sensing a theme emerging from today's conversation around efficiency. Brad's really going to drive that one home, but I'm um, bringing right. it closer to home too. I mean, Brad, I'd be curious first and foremost. Uh, I think other organizations talked a little bit about how COVID kind of accelerated growth or changed the trajectory of their organizations, but I imagine Emerge experienced that 10x with shipping and with freight. Um, and then I'd be curious to hear from the rest of you around how e-commerce has really shaped the growth or the trajectory of your organizations or maybe your client organizations. Yeah. Well, I mean, one thing with COVID, obviously it's horrible, but it, I, one of the silver linings around it is that a lot of businesses and a lot of consumers were open to, te- to technology and open to other uh, solutions out there that they otherwise in a, in a regular market wouldn't be you know, open to explore. So with this, uh, it's been a, a, a huge technological evolution in the last few years, uh, seeing how we can do things, obviously, more efficiently. But I, we always look for the silver lining. Obviously, it was a horrible thing that, that's, that's been happening for the last couple of years. But um, it's opened the eyes for a lot of different people to explore other ways of going about business. So, Right. Yeah. Same for us, right? I mean, it, we at one point, we were like, wait, who buys cars online? That's crazy. Right. Uh, <laughs> and then suddenly it's like, we're buying groceries online. We're buying everything online. If you can't buy it online, you can't buy it. Um, and we saw a lot of competitors popping up, right? And and even uh, you know existing OEMs across the the nation were like, hey, we're we're creating a similar platform here to be able to you know meet the customer where they need to. Again, to, to sort of echo what John said earlier, and and like yes, it's such a terrible thing, but it's also like how amazing for the end user that mm-hmm. you know they have so much power at the thing at their fingertips now. And so, so many people are like, oh, are you are you concerned that there's all these other e-commerce platforms now for, for vehicles? And no, because that just solidifies what we're doing, right? That just makes it more acceptable, more of a, a norm. And so I think the more people that are, are doing, you know, sort of like a little bit on the innovation side of e-commerce are, are selling things that you wouldn't traditionally think about, like Open Door is another example, right? Uh, of like, you're going to buy a house online, <laughs> Cool. Right. Um, I just think it makes it a little bit, it, it sort of changes consumer behaviors, which is for the better for everyone who's in e-commerce. It makes the world feel a little smaller too, right? Because to John's point earlier, when I was saying, hey, is this, you know, global, uh, we can get anything from anywhere a lot faster for the most part. We can always talk about logistics, right? <laughs> and, uh, and and all those things. But completely expands what we're used to when it comes to purchasing and selling and everything in between. And the innovation, right, Bianca and Steve and I always talk about with our guests, innovation. 
that's what this conversation is about in, in support of the smaller and medium-sized businesses to really embrace uh, what's happening. It's happening anyway. You might as well get on board <laughs> and, and move with the train. Yeah. yeah to me, I mean, a big part of this is product discovery, right? So, you know, I, I'm old. And so I remember the Sears catalog coming out and it would come out like twice a year. And then I would learn about new products from that, or maybe you heard about them on a commercial, but now you have 24 seven live product discovery all day, every day. And if you're not leveraging that for your business, you're really missing out. Right. So um, you don't have to wait for a, a business cycle. You don't have to wait for anything. You can launch a product anytime you want, uh, anywhere you want. And to your point, it's global. You don't have to launch just in your backyard. You can launch truly a global product. Um, and and this is what enables it. So, you know, we, we're a digitally native brand. So we've always thought of things that way. But uh, I think COVID absolutely accelerated that process. Well, and I think, too, just, you know, going from like retail in premise to e-com, just your brand persona has to change. Mm-hmm. I mean, your your customer base is different now. Yeah. So, you know, it's not just a matter of, you know, hey, I'm going to do what I always did. It's, oh, what else do I need to do? You know, how, what, what is my next customer? You know, I'm used to selling to 40-something males. Okay, now I've got to have this whole demographic that I got to bring in. So, I mean, I think the, you know, it's, it's great for the consumer. But it, it's a lot of work for businesses to stay on top of and, and be competitive out there. Yeah, so that's, I think that's interesting. You're sort of touching on something here that, that uh, we, we as a unit haven't talked about much is like how we think about segmentation and and tooling that helps us sort of attract the people that we're, we're looking for, or understanding our, our end users from, you know, ethnography to um, psychographics, so all these sort of like finding out who is using our, who is interested in us, where are they, and how do we meet them? And, and so, Honey, maybe you have some thoughts around like the, the tools and platforms that we could be using for leveraging e-commerce, for leveraging some of this information as far as like finding out where people are buying us and, and how we can, you know, get ourselves in front of them. Well, I know uh, we use a lot of uh, the digital marketing tools. We do a lot of analyzation on that. So um, when it comes to your website, things like Hotjar uh, and those types of tools where you can see, you know, where people are bouncing off of your website. Uh, Doing a lot of stuff with your Google Analytics. So looking at your demographics and, you know, who's looking at what, when are they looking at it? Because a lot of people don't even think about time of day. Right now you're global. Right. So you have some demographics at two in the morning. You have some at seven. So when is the hot spot geographically? Who's looking at your stuff? We we have a customer right now that surprisingly found out Texas is their biggest seller. Mm -hmm. You know, and it's like, what, really? They hadn't even looked at Texas. (laughs) So, I mean, there's a slew of tools out there. You know, you have your your good old ones like the Google Analytics and um, GA4 has brought up a lot of new things that you can use. Um, websites is hot jar. And then it's just the old school psychology. <laughs> so, you know, you have to look at the industry. So like with cars and especially buying online, trust. Trust is the big thing. So you're okay. making sure that, you know, you're using trusting colors, that you, know, you have people backing you, you know, trust pilot you know, Google reviews, those types of things. Um, testimonials, getting your customers to actually give testimonials. And that's the thing too, is when you have word of mouth, you know, this customer is telling, you know, you, you get to do the testimonial for your website, for your commercial, but they also go and tell their brother. And that's then right. it just opens up the demographic. Uh, the other part that you can do is consumer surveys. So a lot of people are doing consumer surveys now just to find out, you know, what the demographics are and what people are looking for. You know, what's the first thing that they turn off, you know, when they go to a website? What's the one thing I don't like? So it's Mm -hmm. finding the positives and the negatives that consumers are looking for and making sure you're staying away from the negative. Let's break, if we can, for our first uh, word from our sponsor. We want to make sure that uh, we have an opportunity to give them thanks to having an opportunity to bring this program to our listeners uh, once a month. And the first uh, 
group that we'll hear from is Arizona Commerce Authority. They are the AZ TechCast's 2020 innovation sponsor. The Arizona Commerce, Commerce Authority is the state's leading economic development organization with a streamlined mission to grow and strengthen Arizona's economy. Our streamlined pro-business approach helps you achieve more by putting less between you and future success. Less red tape, lower taxes, less distance separating you from the tech leaders of tomorrow. This innovative ecosystem will supply your business with tools and resources to compete in the 21st century and beyond. But your future is more than just business success. In Arizona, the lifestyle you want is at your fingertips. Explore cities known for their Southwest heritage and modern vision. Enjoy beautiful scenery and endless outdoor activities on land, water, or snow. And if you're looking for a little friendly competition, we've got plenty of teams to choose from. With constant sunshine, vibrant culture, and natural wonder, Arizona provides a style of living that's entirely unique. People from all over the world call our state home. From student leaders who fill the classrooms of our top-ranked universities to a skilled and abundant workforce that's ready for what's next. To the neighbors, friends, and peers we interact with daily, Arizonans are united by a pioneering spirit that moves us forward. So as you look to the future, know that it's filled with the perfect balance of innovation and high-quality living that makes life better here. Thank you, Arizona Commerce Authority, for being our 2022 innovation sponsor. Prior to that break, um, our conversation had me thinking about a question that we really hadn't um, you know, prepared for ahead of time. So I apologize if I'm popping this at you and you're not prepared, but I think it's really important. Um, I was thinking about, John, your, not your company specifically, but when I was able to shop more frequently online for clothing um, and making a personal choice to step away from fast fashion, I was worried about social responsibility and even transparency, transparency, excuse me, transparency with companies. And so I'm just curious for all of you, not just what, you know, the industry that uh, John and his wife are in, do we have a social responsibility uh, with an e-commerce site and business owners? My, my uh, example is, you know, seeing something I loved online, finding the right size, thinking I did, ordering it only to get it. And it's, you know, Barbie doll size. And it's not at all the quality that the picture showed in that gorgeous model, right? It, it, and, and then so now when I'm shopping, uh, and if I'm shopping for clothing in particular, or furniture for that matter, I am. I have to do my diligence, and I have to look to see which part of the world is this coming from, and and what are the reviews, all that. So that's again just a very you know simple example. Um, but let's let's spend a, a minute or two or a few minutes talking about again the responsibility we have to consumers and the transparency and and um, all that that's wrapped around that. Well, I I, I agree with you 100. We all have a responsibility to that and. You know, we hear this all the time. Uh, we get customers saying that they ordered, you know, this from uh, company XYZ and then it shipped from, I, I don't want to disparage any country or other place, but clearly it wasn't what they expected. We ship everything. We take custody of 100% of the products that we have. We ship 100% of our orders from our own fulfillment uh, facility here in Tempe, Arizona. Uh, and we've always done it that way. Uh, we, um, we, we do not go on to marketplaces. Uh, we're hundred percent at spearmentlove.com and we source, uh, we either, we have our own proprietary brands and we source roughly 300 brands from all over the world. Uh, so we have a truly global offering, but what we're doing is we're being authentic to the brands that exist and the effort that they've put to build those brands. And again, I'll let the audience come to their own conclusions about folks that are supportive of that kind of mission. And there's other organizations that are less supportive of that. And I think it's important for DTC brands to really build their brands to stand up that way. So DTC, John, for those of us not familiar with industry lingo, what does that acronym mean? So direct to consumer. So um, it used to be if you created the brand, right, you'd have to hope to get in the target for Walmart or wherever. Uh, now, because of all the uh, the digital commerce tools that we have, you can build and introduce a brand and go direct to your consumers. And uh, DTC brands, you know, brands like Warby Parker or Bonobos, or all, they really started as DTC brands. 
they, they've changed the way that brands go from unknown to known. I think it goes back to what, what Honey was saying around trust, right? Like transparency is key for Carvana. Like we would not be successful if it wasn't for the fact that we annotate all the issues that we have, right? We're selling a used product, right? So there's there's a certain like different level there. But, you know, I think the, the trust factor is huge. And if people get the Barbie doll size clothes, they're not going to come back to your brand or they're not going to, you know, re, re-engage. And so that's, that's always problematic. But I also think that there is a, a pretty big shift in uh, in consumer behavior. And you think about like behavioral economics. Um, and I think the reason why Experiment Love and others are successful is because people are sort of leaning into micro brands and away from marketplaces, right? They want to go direct to the, the person that's building or, or providing the, the product. Um, and so I, it's sort of like the farm to table movement that happened a while back, but just with, you know, clothing and, and whatever else. And and they're popping up like wildflowers, right? They're, they're all over the place. And um, and, and it's, I think, very encouraging for the e-commerce platform because, again, just like I was talking about with, with Carvana and, and COVID, it's like the more that that happens, the more readily available it is for a broader audience. And it just becomes the norm. Whereas I think in the past, it's always been, let's go to a marketplace to find it. I'm interested to, to hear everybody's definition of what marketplace is. Um, as I think we have a different definition of that, too. Or we may have different definitions of that as, as well. Because I'm, I'm a great call out all of your guys' thoughts as well. Of, hey, it's either a middleman or I have to go to a Target or a Walmart. Why can't I go directly to the consumer? Consumer, That is my idea as well. That's, that's, that's kind of what our business was founded off of as well as cutting out that, that, uh, that brokerage uh, layer of it and go directly to the actual service provider. So that's, in my opinion, the actual right. definition of a marketplace of bringing those actual end user service providers to the forefront and giving them the ability to connect directly to consumers. So uh, I think that's where our, our idea of marketplace is, is maybe different, uh, uh, but I've heard that word fo- uh, thrown around. So I'm interested to hear anybody's, uh, if they have a different uh, definition of marketplace. To me, it's whose name shows up on the credit card statement. Yeah, the end consumer. <laughs> Right? It's, it's, it's either Spearmint Love or it's Amazon or it's Walmart or it's yeah. eBay or it, right? It's wh- which company's name shows up on the credit card statement. To me, the marketplace is, it is, could be anything. How it gets there may not always matter to people. It's the quality and the quantity that they get it for. So to me, when you say you're going to marketplace, there's a bunch of different avenues that you can use. Mm-hmm. For Carvana, it's both. So we have direct inventory that we purchase and recondition and you buy from Carvana as part of our core inventory. Um, but you know, we recognize the, the power of our platform, particularly for dealers, and especially during COVID when people weren't going into a dealership to be able to say, hey, you can leverage our platform, you can leverage our logistics network, we will be your marketplace. And so now the dealerships can actually post their vehicles, assuming they follow all of the Carvana standards and guidelines um, to our marketplace. And you can now sell uh, sell vehicles through, that's through what, that mechanism. That's, that was my, more my understanding of, uh, of how we kind of position it is, is A, providing a platform for consumers or users or whoever your end users are to make decisions, their own, their own decisions. So whether that's working with their own preferred vendors or external vendors that you're providing through a platform, they still have the business decision that they, they're able to make, but they just have a wider reach of who they can actually decide from. So in my opinion, it's, yeah, it is trying to go from a closed network to an open network, but still at the, the user level, they have the buying decision. They, they, they are just exposed to more options. Right. Yeah. So hearing these through marketing ears, I just think about how your online marketing and your branding really needs to be on point, especially if you're going direct to consumer. I mean, when I open up my Instagram feed, it's every three or four posts that I'm getting some sort of ad around press-on nails or around some <laughs> brand of jeans and maybe that outs me a little bit in what I'm searching for. <laughs> but I mean, in addition to maybe some sort of marketing budget, what tips or what resources do these small or mid-sized businesses have to have in their back pocket to bring online expansion into their future? I think for me, the, the number one thing is you need to understand your cost of acquisition. 
Mm -hmm. um, it's if you can't get your cost of acquisition right and understand what your unit economics are to support that, you're going to have a hard time making e-commerce work. Uh, so I'll start there, but I don't know how you guys feel about that. That's my my number one. Yeah, I, I think that's great. I think also like when you think about that spend, there's a difference between, hey, I'm going to go have some ad spend and you know I'm going to try to get some brand recognition and things of that nature, which is important for sure. Uh, but you know, I, I think a lot of what has made Carvana successful is is that uh, trust and that feedback loop. But we've already talked about it, right? And so, can you spend that that money on sort of surprising and delighting your customer, and as a result, have a customer for life that's walking around? And I, we had a Carvana um, Super Bowl commercial recently that was like this mom telling everybody, right? And like, that's a real example. That's a real experience that we we see all the time. It's anytime I'm like, oh, I work at Carbon, I'm like, oh, let me tell you about my experience, right? And so how can you create that? Of like, experiment love, I, I ordered this thing, I got this thing, like, ah, what an amazing extra little thing they put together, right? You, you get like a sticker from the this dog's final shop or whatever. There's just these little extra touches um, that, that sort of stand out and then create just that little deeper brand loyalty. And then I think that that's what can really help drive um, drive consumers to your platform or your your, your You have your brand. to differentiate yourself from others. You mm -hmm. have to. Otherwise, you're just one of many. Um, you know, and I mean, we had a, a customer that did botanical skincare, and that was the first question I asked him: What makes you different from everybody else? And his was they his his wife was actually a scientist. And they did everything themselves out of California. I think that and story so, means a lot too. Oh, I'm sorry, honey, go ahead. Yeah. No, 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 that's fine. But yeah, and that's what we ended up doing is, is part of theirs is building their story. You know, mm -hmm. and, our, and on our side too, you have to be able to explain that in like 10 seconds. Yep, <laughs> that's right, that's right. Like it has to be clear. You cannot you cannot fumble around with what that explanation is. It has to be able to be driven home in ten seconds. I'm in trouble. Yeah. Chip <laughs> uh, and, and Dan Heath have a great book called The Power of Moments that talks about that a lot, which is such a wonderful book for I think anybody who's trying to create sort of those experiences for customers and, and those moments, those like lasting impressions. Um, but that you're exactly right. Like it's got to be it's got to be emotional. It's got to be this moment of like, ah, that just, it resonates, it clicks. Because yep. um, otherwise you'll lose them. We think a lot about that. Um, you know, for one, we don't really think of our customers as customers. We think of them as an audience. And I think that's a real differentiator for us because the way we think about it is what we're doing all day long and communicating with our customers is the, our story. And then the product placements amongst the story are the commercials. And so like we're our own program. Uh, mm. And because what I've found is we, we have close to a million followers on Instagram uh, and we, we build it from zero. Oh, and man. part of the reason is, you know, I see people just all they do is talk about their products. It's really hard to follow a product only brand on Instagram. Like at, at, there's fatigue with product. So you have to wrap a narrative into like, what are you? Who are you? Why are you? And if you're not doing that with your brand and while you're building it, uh, it it's it's going to be very, very difficult to stand out to everyone else's point here. How are you different? And to us, that's one of the ways we think about different. I think that kind of comes full circle back to what Karen was saying earlier about the social responsibility aspect, too. So if you can tell the story, at least to my generation, of you know what you're doing with the, this revenue that you're gaining, or if you're you know, funneling it towards organizations that are doing great work or what you're doing around clean energy or something like that. Like, I think that differentiates a lot as well. And in addition to that differentiation, I'm curious, what is it that um, your organizations or your clients are really doing to attract more visitors to your to your e-commerce platforms and in turn, just enjoy an abundance of increased sales and conversions? Well, I think we kind of touched on it earlier when we started talking about, you know, digital marketing and the stories. The, the big thing with, I would say, digital marketing or advertising in general is it's not a one and done. Couldn't agree so more. So you Couldn't have to more. continually change. You have to stay on top of it. 
what is this generation doing? What is the socioeconomical you know, situations look like out there? What's going on in the news? You know, do you want to jump on that or you want to stay away from it with ten foot pole? You know, and you have so many different things you can use now in the social media platforms. And like, I don't know about you guys, but every time I turn around, it seems like there's a new one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, you know, so you're staying on, on top of that. And and it's not just, you know, getting those new people in, but, you know, also retaining the ones you have. Yeah. So <laughs> I, I, I think there's all kinds of stuff that, you know, you end up having to do to attract and keep. That, that's right. I think talking about keeping or, you know, customer lifetime value, having people come back, having people feel like there's something that that's necessary. And, and there's probably varying levels of that depending on the e-commerce company, right? Of, you know, it, it, they, like I mentioned open door earlier, like they probably don't have people coming back that often to buy another house, right? Uh, whereas, you know, you're some of those things that, that are sort of more consumable, you probably have people come back really, really frequently. Um, <clears throat> I think that's such a great call out, honey. I think that yeah. it's important to actually, especially on our side of the world, it's not really product driven, it's more service driven, mm-hmm. is are mm-hmm. you actually solving a problem or is there a problem to be solved? If you're just trying to punch a square peg into a round hole just to say that, hey, we have the coolest uh, new services or new products, it's not going to stick. So mm-hmm. one, one of the theories that, that I see it, or that my team always focuses on is I'm trying to like almost disqualify a consumer from the very beginning of like, how, how does it not work for you? How do we, how do we exclude that before I even get into like how we actually can make this a solution for your problem, but identifying a problem and actually being able to solve it, even though it sounds simple enough is, is that how you actually become sticky? Because if it's not really solving a problem, what's the point of it? I love well, it. I think you can have that in products too. It's not just service. You know, when you're thinking about how you sell a product, it's, you know, what service is it providing you? Bianca. You know, what is that product going to do for the end consumer? Now, and that goes back to the you know the social responsibility is you know how is that product sourced? You know, different mm-hmm. generations are going to have different you know thoughts about that. And, and so, now generations care about end of life, yep. right? So it's not just about yeah. like, hey, where did this come from? But what where do I do with it once I'm right? Yeah, exactly. It's interesting right. that Brad mentioned that because before you did, I was thinking, uh, Bianca, back to last month's panel, we had Axiom and Taser on and uh, the gentleman that was speaking on behalf of that company, obviously a completely different topic, but same, he landed on the same thing. We started shifting and listening to what do our communities need? Like we've got this incredible technology and we can keep coming up with things all day long and, and be uber impressive and make billions of dollars. But if our folks aren't needing this and asking for it and having a relationship with it, what does it matter? Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's a conversation uh, with your customers. The other thing I would say is thinking about this, right, which is the, the, the audience for this broadcast, right, is people that may not be in the e-commerce who are thinking about going in the e-commerce. So two things I would say is one is echo what everybody said on the panel. It's a system. It's not one thing. So if you're going to just try one thing to do e-commerce, it won't work. So start there. Second is I'm 53 years old. I didn't run my first Facebook ad until I was 47. So I, and I figured it out. And the market is the market from when I started running ads in 2016 till now has changed massively. It's unrecognizable. Uh, but the point is, you can do it. If you're, it doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter where you come from. That's the beauty of e-commerce, right? It's a completely open and agnostic system that if you put the work in and the effort in and do the research, it will bear fruit. And to that end, I think you have to be authentic, right? You have to, I find when I'm looking at ads or when I'm scrolling through my Instagram, right, Bianca, I see, I see something and I'm like, that doesn't feel authentic. That feels like you just copy and paste it out of some, you know, MBA textbook or something, right? And and so, like, how do you how do you create this like true connection and story? Again, to Brad's point earlier, like as, as succinctly as possible, that allows for that true connection. Um, I just think that's so so valuable. So I'm sure your first Facebook ad, John, was phenomenal and endearing, and and people just could connect with it because it's authentic, right? Because you you tried, you put your your heart and soul into it. And so I, yeah, I we did everything wrong, <laughs> but you have to be um, willing to do it wrong. So like. We basically like you have all these rules of like what you're supposed to follow. And we just said, now we're just going to put up organic content and either people are going to like it or they're going to hate it. And 
Uh, yeah. We just, and that's my wife. Honestly, is has really built that from scratch, and it's her her fingerprints all over everything we do from a, a social perspective. What do you think of taking a couple of minutes for our second sponsor break? Thank you, Bianca. Let's do that. And then we have a, a little less than 15 minutes. There are a couple more questions. We want to make sure we have a chance to uh, get in here. And uh, so on that note, our 2022 Tech Advocate sponsor is JDH Insights, and we want to thank them for the opportunity to bring us this program. Thank you, JDH Insights, for being our 2021 Tech Advocate sponsor. A leader in coaching and executive development, JDH Insights is committed to helping organizations cultivate and leverage their most important and complex asset, their humans. Visit JDHinsights.com to enhance leadership and improve team dynamics to take your business to the next level. Thank you, JDH Insights. All right, next question. Who are some of the Arizona's um, up-and-coming e-commerce leaders? You all have your foot to the floor and your ear to the ground. You already have one right here on the platform. I was just going to say, <laughs> right? That's that's all I've done. Right? <laughs> yeah. Who else? Who would, who else would you say is is out there paving the way? Brian Tate and the team at Oats Overnight. Yes. You know, they took a really um, kind of stodgy oatmeal category, and they're doing phenomenal things with that. Brian really gets it. Uh, he's built a phenomenal business. And he's a good guy to pay attention to. Their firm is really interesting. I like what they're doing. And a great product. <laughs> yeah. Yep. I didn't realize they were here. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. They ship right out of uh, uh, Tempe, Arizona. Oh, my gosh. Our, so we're in Tempe and we're in a co-work space. Our community manager uh, who manages the the campus, when she had a tour with them, she came back and for weeks could not stop talking about them and passing out their product, right? It's it, that's, that's, what, that's what this does for us when we have... Uh, share the same values and have a great product and, and are doing it right for the messaging and the story. Uh, she is now forever a fan. Uh, other ideas from the rest of you around who else you're watching for leadership? I mentioned Open Door a couple of times already, right? And I, I think I'm probably biased there. I, I've, I've met with that group a lot. Their, their approach is very similar to Carvana's. And so I just think, um, you know, they're approaching it outside of the box and, and thinking through all the different aspects of the complexity and frustrations of a customer going through that experience. And I just think it's it's cool to find another organization that is so customer centric and it's all about, you know, making it easier for, for people to do uh, what has traditionally been really complex and long processes, right? Brad, I'm curious from where you and maybe, yeah, it's, I, maybe I, it's not I just Arizona. Valley Merge as well. It's, uh, <laughs> it's, I, I kind of uh, uh, touched on it in the, in the beginning here uh, with supply chain yes. being a really hot topic here. And really anybody who is u- leveraging e-commerce has to move goods from point A to point B. So um, have, how do we do that efficiently? And that's what we're really here here, here to play the game in. Um, so right now, it's, I've, you, you've probably heard me say it's always been a closed network and, and, and someone getting off the ground, maybe they have one or two vendors in their back pocket that they've always leaned upon. But how did that to really grow and expand? How do you drive efficiencies with transportation costs? Transportation costs used to be a three or four percent line item on your on your revenue books. Now it's going up to 12, 13, 14 percent. So. It's something to look into um, right now of, of how you can be more efficient with. And uh, it's something that, as, as I was saying, people, a lot more people and a lot more uh, businesses are looking at that line item and exploring different options for solutions. And uh, we've been happy to be able to supply those solutions in the last few years. So, yeah, that's, that's it's a pretty big topic and uh, within this conversation for sure. I remember another segment we had, and I can't remember what the overall topic was, it, it... Uh, but Brad, you're making me think that I, I would imagine folks never thought they had solutions available to them. Like how it's done is always how it's been done. I'm sure Emerge is helping to say, hey, this is a conversation <laughs> and yeah. here are the solutions, right? Well, one, uh, even, uh, to, to show you how antiquated the transportation industry is, uh, we bring on, we're, we're growing rapidly. We've grown from 30 people to over 300 people in a few years uh, at our company. So we, we hire new hires all the time, especially maybe even with no industry experience. And a lot of times it's a cool perspective for, of, of them saying, wow, you guys have a really cool product, but why, ha- why doesn't this exist? Like, how is this, how is this not invented already? Like, how, how does this not exist? So it's, that, that just show, goes to show like how far behind some industries are uh, and that they haven't been willing to really change 
but now uh, the eyes are opening and saying, hey, we're, our competition is going to be blowing us out of the water if we don't adapt to change and actually evolve with that, or evolve with technology. So, but it, it is awesome. Every time I, I get someone to say, hey, this is our cool platform and it's so simple, but they're like, why the heck is this? Why hasn't this existed already? So. And I think emerges a microcosm of the macrocosm, the bigger picture of this conversation, right? The more people come and you're you're solving the problem for them, the more they're putting it out there to the people they know, whether it's social media or business connections, and it just, it's the ripple effect just happens much faster than it ever has before, which is, again, circling around to everything that we're talking about here. We call it, we call it a network effect. Yes. Of if you're if you're connecting all of these different consumers and vendors together, you're drawing efficiencies, and it's almost a trading network. Yep. Hey, I have this vendor that's efficient from moving my goods from point A to point B, but another consumer has needs that vendor for, to move from point B to point C, and they never would have been introduced to that vendor at an efficient cost if that that marketplace or that that e-commerce platform wasn't built. So. Uh, th- that's a really a simple uh, diagram that you could point out. But uh, uh, yeah, the, the network effect of connecting different consumers and different vendors together. And it's not really, hey, I'm going to pull away or steal your vendors. It's how can we work together and actually trade these efficiently? One other brand I want to call out, and I have I don't know these guys at all, but we talked earlier about being able to sort of like tell your story, create this real quick connection, talk about authenticity. Um, there's a micro brand in town in, in Tempe called Sportique and they're about us. I Matt just remember, like, yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, and, and like you go to their about us page and you just get sucked in, right. It's just like, ah, I just want to keep going. And, uh, you're sort of like, you have this driver of like, I, I apparently I need a new t-shirt now just because I like these guys so much. <laughs> And so if they're listening, I like you. <laughs> Great. <laughs> really wear your, your merch. John, do you um, know Matt Altman? No. Oh, gosh. All of you. I think he's, to Emery's point, he's a great, he's a Conscious Capitalism, uh, which is one of our sponsors. He's been a speaker several times uh, with the community that we run with, in addition to a guest here on Phoenix Business Radio on several of our shows. Somebody, to Emery's point, that you really want to get to know like all of you, brilliant. I, I think each of you would really align well, not only with his product and what he's doing in the world, but also just his way of thinking as it relates to e-commerce and uh, and landing yeah. on the map on behalf of the industry that he represents or, or the small piece of it anyway. Yeah, love it. Uh, Bianca, let's round it out. Uh, do you have a burning question? I've got one, but I want to make sure I don't miss one. What do you think? Um, I think you can close out the one on the the, the last prepared a- question. I just have a little bit of a tangential question in, in hearing all of these different industries that have um, built out or developed or are continuing to optimize their e-commerce platform. Is it a, in the beginning stages of setting that up, is that fairly straightforward in, in like a one size fits all kind of way? Where does the uh, segmentation start in this? And I know that's kind of a big question, but for, for people who've never been down that road, is it a one size fits all or is it pretty tailored depending on what you're wanting to do? I mean, coming from a company that that's what we do, <laughs> uh, it's not one size fits all. Call me, right, right. honey? Just so, call me. <laughs> yeah. So when we bring someone in, it's a slew of questions, you know, getting to know about their business, getting to know, like, what do they need? Do they, do they want to just sell straight? Do they have, you know, multiple pro- uh, projects? And do they, you know, do they have logistics? How do they set that up? You know, what's their accounting look like? I mean, there's all these different pieces that come into play. So when you're thinking, you know, a platform, it's not like, you know, okay, I'm going to go to Magento and Magento has all of this stuff already. It doesn't. It's a collection. You've got so many pieces to bring in. It's a resource planning platform of, of a ton of different integrated platforms. So, yeah. Yeah. And my, my tongue in cheek answer is, on one hand, it's too easy. And on the other hand, it's really hard. Um, so, and by too easy, I mean, uh, the barriers to entry to e-commerce have come down precipitously, which means anybody can start up an e-commerce company, but that doesn't mean anybody will succeed. Um, and to succeed is where it becomes really hard. And that comes back to something that Emery said uh, earlier, which is as businesses mature, they segment, uh, they come a lot more segmented. And we're seeing that a lot now. 
And the only way that I'm aware of as a marketer to get really good at segmentation is to build proprietary internal marketing systems. I, I don't know how else you can do it well without doing that. So while there's tons of off-the-shelf uh, stuff out there, if you don't build it and make it unique to your offering, it's going to be really hard to deliver on the segmentation reality that you need to. Well, and I think AI is starting to play a really, really big thing. Else, doing predictive marketing is just like right. the biggest thing you can do right now. Like anyone, and there's all kinds of little things you can get out there, but it doesn't mean they work. <laughs> so, but I, and I wish we had more time on this too. On the, the integration, would go by fast. <laughs> yeah, I wish we had more time. But the John, I, I agree with it. It's it's more scalable if you build your own your own practices, your own platforms. However, if you're trying to get something off the ground, it's a very difficult decision to say, hey, do I build my own or do I leverage an existing platform? Whether you're talking about resource constraints, that is like one of the number one decisions that you have to, to, to decide on. So it's a very tricky decision and there's pros and cons to both, but um, every, every one of those decisions is very difficult though. Maybe the question is, if not, it's not if, it's when. <laughs> you know, when, when do we make that shift? Yeah. Well, yeah, because I mean, we could put someone on Shopify like right away, yep. but it doesn't mean that they're going to stay there very long. And so you have to think, you know, long term as a business, do I want to make this you know, investment right now, knowing that I'm going to grow and I'm going to have to make another investment down the road. And now is this investment worth it? Super tough. You know, so those are the kinds of things that you really have to think about when, you know, you're thinking e-com. It's not easy. You really do have to think about things. Let's do a quick round with this last question since Bianca um, teed it up for me to ask this question uh, before we close out the program. How do you expect e-commerce to evolve and shape retail specifically in the next uh, decade? Is that an easy thing to answer in just a minute or two? John, I'm looking at you. uh, Yeah, I'll go first. That's fine. Uh, There's two big things. One is I think the regulatory battles around commerce in general, uh, both e-commerce and non-e-commerce, is going to be massive. Direct-to-consumer brands, these new brands, took massive market share from uh, existing brands and traditional retailers. Look look at Carvana as an example, right? They've taken massive market share from traditional dealerships. So when you take stuff from incumbents, they tend to not be happy about that. Um, So there's going to be massive regulatory battles. That's the number thing. The other thing is uh, Web 2 to Web 3, if you don't know what that means, start doing some research. But basically, there's going to be a massive shift in in who owns what content and how you get to monetize both the content and the product, and more importantly, the audiences you create and own. So I think there's going to be a massive battle fought over Web 2 to Web 3 uh, over the next 10 years. I think from from my lens, I I think there's a couple of things happening. Um, I genuinely believe that expectations of consumers are changing and to sort of circle back to, to how John was talking about earlier, like we're our own program. I think, you know, I, I'm constantly listening to, to companies that are evolving in a way where it's like, wait, you're doing what? You're including what? Like, aren't you a, a dating app? And now you have like this mental health stuff. And, um, you know, I think it's, it's honestly, like, it makes sense. You talk with them, you're like, oh yeah, that makes sense. Okay. And and so like, I, I think it very much is sort of building, um, building what you need to be able to target your audience and, and making sure that you are providing as much of a holistic, uh, you know, brand and, and, and providing as much value to that, that end user as possible. And it's not just a, Hey, I've got an Etsy shop or I've got a, you know, platform and you can click add to a cart. It's, there's so much more, uh, if we want to be able to make those connections with our, our end users, we will have to do it that way. And drawing the line for them, right? So those those co- consumers and customers know where you're headed, and then they get to make a decision. Am I going with them? <laughs> and, and Yeah, That's exactly. Right. Well, Bianca was right. This was fast and furious and certainly a lot of fun. I appreciate the way in which you all kind of just jumped in there as we invited you to do so. And after every one of these episodes, we always say, we need to have you guys back because there's always sparks these other <laughs> conversations like Brad said. There's just not enough time. <laughs> 
Thank you again, all of you, for being here and sharing your expertise and wisdom today. You've been listening to AZ TechCast brought to you by Phoenix Business Radio with Business Radio X. Today's AZ TechCast was brought to you by the Arizona Commerce Authority, the state's leading economic development organization with a streamlined mission to grow and strengthen Arizona's economy. Thank you again, Arizona Commerce Authority. And also thanks to JDH Insights, the 2022 Tech Advocate Sponsor. Visit jdhinsights.com to enhance leadership and improve team dynamics to take your business to the next level. If you're interested in becoming a podcast participant or a sponsor for Council's AZ TechCast, contact marketing at aztechcouncil.org. I figure you might give a little wave there, Bianca. Marketing at aztechcouncil.org, and you can title it Hey, Bianca, to learn more about opportunities to further position you as a tech expert, influencer, and innovator. Until next time, I'm Karen Nowicki. Thank you again so much for joining AZ TechCast. Thank you for joining us for this episode of AZ TechCast with Arizona Technology Council, featuring leading tech and business experts that help influence and shape our great state and the industries they serve.